In this episode, I want to teach you how to use discernment when watching a popular video on YouTube right now. You're listening to Onward in the Faith with Ray Burns. Ray is dedicated to equipping Christians to understand why they believe what they believe so that they can keep moving onward in their faith toward maturity in Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, visit patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. And make sure you visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. Now here's Ray with today's topic. This episode is going to be a little bit different than my typical podcast episodes. Every episode I've done is inspired by one of the articles on my blog, but I will typically approach it in a new way, giving new content. Instead, today I'm basically just going to take an article that I wrote on Friday and more or less produce it in audio form, not quite word for word, but if you've already read the article, this episode won't have anything new for you. However, the reason I'm recording this episode is because I had originally titled my article a response to Dana Coverstone's Three Prophetic Dreams video. I sat down, I wrote the article, and then I had to change the title of it to a lengthy response to this video because at the end of it, my article was about 10 pages long on my document program. So it's understandable for something that is as interesting as this particular video that people may not want to dig into something that's 10 pages long. So hopefully if that's you, if you don't have time to devote to such a lengthy article, you can just listen to this during your drive time to work and it should give you a good understanding of how, as a Christian that wants to be faithful to the Bible, how to really use discernment and wisdom to understand how to really approach these seemingly prophetic dreams. Now what am I talking about with all of this? There's a video going around on YouTube by a pastor named... Dana or Dana Coverstone. He's a pastor down in, I believe it's Kentucky, and as I understand it, he made a video and released it to his church of, I think he says, one to two hundred people, and he didn't intend for it to blow up on the internet like it has, but somebody shared the this video, and it really just caught fire on the internet, and now Christians all across the internet, from what I've seen, are really listening to this and feeling like Not only is this prophetic, but it's also God telling us through him what is coming next in terms of this pandemic and the protests and things that we're seeing in America. And so what I want to really do is dig in to not only what he says, but give some general principles that we need to understand when anyone comes to us and says that they have had a prophetic dream or a prophetic vision. And especially, I think this is important because in Christian circles, and I I don't know if this is true worldwide, but in America, the whole end times thing is very, very popular. It sells hundreds of thousands, even millions of copies of books. If you've read the Left Behind series, if you've watched certain movies or, or read other books that predict all this end time stuff that's coming because people will read through Revelation and things like that, and they'll analyze it, and they'll decipher it, and produce a book about it. You know that that stuff is popular, and it tickles our imaginations, and it it makes us excited because we're seeing the fulfillment of the Bible come through, and these guys are digging in and uncovering this mystery like they're Indiana Jones or something. And so when it comes to prophetic dreams and things like that, this stuff is very popular. But just because it's exciting or we want to consider it doesn't always mean we should. What we need to do, first of all, and primarily, is say, what does the Bible say and does it agree with what I'm being told? And so ultimately, that's what I want to do is just give some biblical principles for us to consider as we listen to this video by Pastor Dana and try to understand how much weight we should give it, whether we should listen to it at all, and if we should listen to it then we need to listen to it. We need to apply it as truth and respond. We shouldn't just say it's true and then do nothing, because that's not us being responsible Christians with a message from God. So let's dig in and see what is he saying? Is this from God? And how should we be confident whether it is or not? Now, down in the show notes, I will put a link to this video, and I would highly, highly encourage you to listen to it on your own. It's about 16 minutes long, and I will 
briefly break down what he says in it, but I think it's important if we're going to really analyze it for anyone who's wondering about it to listen to it for themselves, to make their own assessments of it, and then come back to this episode and pick it back up and see sort of where I go with it. That will not only allow you to hear it from Pastor Dana, but it will also allow you to use discernment and practice and see areas maybe that you watched it and didn't consider. So use this as an opportunity not only to dig into what is true, but also as practice for how to, on your own, listen to things that sound good and sound right and find areas to consider as you're analyzing those and kind of judging the truthfulness of them. Now, in a nutshell, in this video, Pastor Dana talks about three dreams that he's had. He had one back in December and then two more very recently that he has made videos about to share. Now, the one back in December, he says that he shared this dream with some men of his church and that they would confirm it. And he has released a video of two men in his church. I believe they're both elders who confirm that he had shared this dream that he's not making this stuff up. Now, in this dream back in December, he saw a hand that started flipping through a calendar. It stopped on March and tapped it three times. The hand then flipped to June and tapped that month three times. And from there, he saw things like marching and protests, people wearing masks, people in hospitals on ventilators. He saw cities on fires. Courthouses were surrounded. There were barriers in cities. Basically, he saw what is happening right now. Uh, he also saw vultures that will make an appearance in a future dream. And all during this dream, he heard a voice say, brace yourself. So that was dream number one is, as far as he can tell, he dreamed a prophetic dream where God was showing him what the future would look like. Now, it, he didn't see COVID or coronavirus. He just saw people wearing masks, people sick, um, a lot of unrest and protesting and kind of chaos occurring. Now, in dream number two, he saw a white figure appear and say part two, and he interprets this as the Holy Spirit. This same hand then flips to September on the calendar and taps it three times. It turns to November and punches the calendar now and explodes it. From there, he sees armed protesters. He sees schools that look closed and completely abandoned. Um, he sees, you know, up to this point, things had been a little bit more one-to-one, -one, right? He's, these all are things that are very literal images. Well, then he sees banks having their roofs opened up. And as he puts it, the money is being sucked out of it like an alien abduction or like a giant vacuum is sucking them up. He sees politicians making shady deals in back rooms. Washington, D.C. is burning. Chinese and Russian troops invade. I believe he's implying that they represent the United Nations, but they start rounding people up. Uh, these vultures from Dream 1 have turned into flying gargoyles and start attacking people. Uh, during all of this, and this is an important one to pay attention to for the future discussion, in all of this, he very specifically notices that President Trump is missing. He's absent during all of this. And then again, he hears the words, brace yourself. Now in Dream 3, which he had, I believe, a few days after Dream 2, he goes to a bank to get some change for some kind of yard sale that he's having, and He's told by the bank teller that they don't have change anymore. Uh, she tells him that the U.S. Mint is no longer making coins, and she cautions him to start preparing for them to stop making smaller bills like ones and fives as well. And so he asks her, you know, well, what should I do? You know, I, what do I do if I want to charge $1.50 for something? And she says, well, just prepare for inflation and start charging $2 instead of $1.50. Now, from these dreams, Pastor Dana then goes in to some warnings and pieces of advice for how we should respond to these dreams that he has interpreted for us. So he predicts that a second wave of COVID is coming. The protests are going to get worse. He sees the entire country of America building towards another civil war. And so he warns us that we need to stockpile food guns, and ammo. He says to start getting alternative currency, like silver, instead of actual cash. Uh, he specifically tells Christians that we need to kind of focus on our relationship with Christ and make sure we are 
right and prepared in that way. And then in all of this, it's at one point he talks about how all of this is being done by the Antichrist. Uh, if you're familiar with one particular interpretation of Revelation, um, which is if you've read the Left Behind books, this is the the understanding that the author has is that there's going to be a physical, literal Antichrist that rises up and leads the world in rebellion against God. And this is where the rapture takes place and things like that. And so Pastor Dana is saying that all of this chaos is happening because the Antichrist sees America and sees that we stand in the way of his satanic schemes and that it's our freedoms that are stopping him from taking over the world. And so if he can overturn America, then finally he can take over the world, Is seems to be where Pastor Dana goes with this. Now, before I continue, I want to be very clear that I'm not attacking this man. I'm not claiming he's even necessarily a false prophet in the sense of being an unsaved person coming in and trying to lead people away from God. And even in his videos, he claims that he's not a prophet. He's saying that dreams just have prophetic qualities to them, and that's how he is trying to make a line here. Uh, he even says that he's willing to be very wrong. He says, you know, I could be wrong, you know, take this with a grain of salt. If on December 1st this hasn't happened, you can call me a fool, and things like that. And to a degree, I believe him. I believe that he doesn't think that he is necessarily a prophet, but I don't think that makes him correct in his understanding of what's happening here. As we'll discuss, I think we need to be asking ourselves, one, if prophets even exist today. Two, does Pastor Dana share the qualities of a prophet? Because while he may want to say he's not a prophet, everything he's saying and doing is fitting the role of a prophet. And so I think that we have no choice but to evaluate him in that light as someone claiming to be a prophet because he's coming with prophetic dreams. He's interpreting those dreams and then telling us what to do based on those dreams. It doesn't matter what title he wants to give himself. That is a prophet. And the reason that I want to do all this is really based on what we see in Hebrews 5.14. It says, Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So the entire point of my article and this episode is for us to use discernment to try to see what is good and what is not good and whether these prophetic dreams are things that are good and from God and therefore we need to listen to them or if there's another explanation and we need to reject them. So first, I think we need to really start with what is probably the most important thing, and that is to simply understand what prophecy is, what prophecy is all about, and how God uses prophets as we see in the Bible. Because if someone is going to claim to be a prophet, they need to match the biblical pattern that God has laid out in the Bible. He needs to match the qualifications, and everything about him needs to line up with how we see God working in the Bible. And the reason that's important is because today in Christianity, there are many people claiming to be prophets or claiming to have prophecies. And what they say on the surface sounds good. It seems to line up with our expectation. But then when we compare those prophets and what they say with how we see prophets in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they don't line up. They don't match. And that's very dangerous. And so even though we see prophecy very often in the Old Testament and even in early parts of the New Testament when the church is first getting started, we need to understand what that means, what that looks like, and, and overall why God even used prophets in the first place. So in terms of prophecy, the main goal of prophecy was for God to give a direct message to a particular person or group of people. In the Bible, if you ever read, Thus saith the Lord... That's when you know you're dealing with prophecy, because that is someone saying, this is what God told me to tell you. Now, a prophet may not always understand what he's saying. So if you read things like Isaiah, and especially his prophecies about the coming Messiah, or John in the book of Revelation, there's a good chance that these prophets didn't know what they were seeing or saying. They were just faithfully giving the message from God. And the important thing with them is that Whatever prophet we are dealing with, New or Old Testament, they had no doubt that what they were saying was indeed absolutely a message from God. Now, that prophecy, 
that came directly from God always had a purpose to it. When God gave a prophecy, overall, just like everything God does, a prophecy was meant to bring glory to God above all else, because that's what God is always about. He's about his own glory, his own holiness. And so when God would give a prophecy, he would either use it to call people to repentance. Now we see that if you read the book of Jonah, when he went to Nineveh and saying, repent or God's going to destroy you. That was God giving Jonah prophecy of what was going to happen. He was giving a message from God to these people to say, repent, because God is going to judge you for your sins. Now, other times, God would use prophecy to confirm his sovereignty and his righteousness by telling people about events that were coming up that he was in control of. Now, we can see this, for example, in Daniel, when he interprets the dream of the king with this statue made of different kinds of metal, and Daniel is giving the prophecy and interpreting this prophecy of how God was going to work in the future through letting kingdoms rise and fall. And so God wasn't necessarily calling anyone to repentance there, but what he was doing was establishing that God is sovereign, God is in control, that he not only knows the future, he ordains the future, he tells the future how it's going to be, and that ultimately nothing is outside of God's control. Nothing happens where God is just juggling too many balls and something slips past his attention. Prophecy shows us that God is true and therefore is worth trusting. And again, we see prophecy is always just driving glory to God. Now, as we get to the New Testament, and here's where prophecy gets interesting and where we in our modern setting need to be careful. New Testament prophecy is different than Old Testament prophecy. Because what we see in the New Testament in the early church is that God was using prophecy to instruct his people. And here's what we need to realize about prophecy that a lot of us may not really think through. So when Christ came, he died, he rose again, and totally upset thousands of years of Old Testament Jewish tradition and said, here's how you thought it was, but here's how it truly is. This is what a life of pursuing God is all about. It's not about keeping law. It's about me. And that was hard for people to understand because if you look through the Gospels, the Pharisees are a perfect picture of what people thought the Old Testament was about. They thought it was about obeying laws and earning your righteousness and being a good person to go to heaven. And Christ says, no, no, it's not at all what you thought. And so as Christ returned to heaven and he charged his apostles to go and spread the word and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, there was kind of a lot to do in a very short amount of time. There was this totally new way of thinking about the Bible and God and salvation and eternal life that people had never thought of. And it was kind of jarring. I mean, you can imagine how shocked they were when everyone thought it was one way, but really it's this other way. And this other way is a perfect picture of how good God is because he's not expecting people to keep the law and obey and all that, but instead to find salvation and forgiveness through Christ who did keep the law and having that righteousness applied to them. But how do you now take that and apply it to your daily life and take it back to your city and teach people there? How do you do all this stuff? Now today, we have the New Testament of the Bible to explain the Old Testament to us, to give us a bigger picture and a more direct understanding of how to live this life. But the people then didn't have that. People then, when you read the book of Acts, the people had nothing except the Old Testament. And so how are these people, you know, you had the apostles standing up and proclaiming the gospel to people. You had them sending people off back to their own cities to deliver this message. How are these people going to do this if they didn't have the book of Romans or Corinthians or any of these letters that we have from the apostles. I mean, they didn't even have the gospel. They had, they didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to see who Christ was and what he said. They had truth, they had the Holy Spirit, and they had the Old Testament. And so here is where prophets came into play. Because as time went on, as Paul's letters started circulating and as Peter's letters and as the apostles were able to go out and about and teach and, and strengthen the churches and drive them to more maturity, slowly people started getting these letters from Paul, but it still took a while because of how copying and transmitting letters and things like that worked back then. So best case scenario, a church might have the bulk of the Old Testament and maybe one or two letters from an apostle. 
And so there were, as we can understand, some gaps that these people had in their understanding. They would read all the stuff about the law and these customs and these feasts and these dietary laws and all this stuff. And we even see that people like Peter were confused on how the Old Testament law fit with our Christian life. And so this is where God would use prophets, where he would give a message to people directly from him to explain to others what was going on, how to live, how to think, how to understand their new life in Jesus Christ as a child of God who doesn't need to earn their righteousness, doesn't need to earn their salvation. And we know that this was the role of the prophets because Paul even talks about this in Ephesians. So in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, he says, And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. So, pause. He gave all of these roles to the church for a purpose. So he gave the apostles, which we don't have anymore. He gave evangelists. He gave pastors and teachers. And he gave prophets. Why did he give the church these things? He goes on to say, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So what God did is he gave the church apostles and prophets when they needed them. Because again, they had these gaps in their understanding. They didn't have the entire book of Romans to reference for understanding who God is and what he's done and how we live in light of that. He didn't have the, they didn't have the practical books like James or the letters of John that simply explain basic Christian living. They didn't have a lot of this stuff. And that's why we actually have the letters from the apostles, because we get to see all of this stuff that they had to correct in the churches. Because ultimately, when you understand the context and the setting that they were dealing with, the apostles were fighting two kinds of heresies in the church at that time, two false beliefs that people were trying to take Christ and mix with these understandings. So one thing they were trying to do is they were trying to make basically New Testament Christians hold to Old Testament law. Now, if you read the book of Galatians, that's a large part of what that book is about, is it's saying why we're free from the law, why the law couldn't do anything. If you read in Hebrews, I think it's chapter 10, it talks about how the law couldn't possibly save, that the law can't do anything on its own. You read the book of Romans, Paul hits that too about how it's not works that we do. And on and on we see this stuff. Another thing that they had to fight against was Gnosticism. And that is its own podcast episode. But in a nutshell, Gnosticism basically said that there was two realms of existence. There was the physical realm and the spiritual realm. And Christianity agrees with that. We know that there is a physical world, but there is also a spiritual world. There's a spiritual component to reality. Where the Gnostics would go wrong, though, is they would say everything physical is bad. It's evil. And the spiritual things are good and pure. And so what they would say is that, you know, Christ was God, but he could not possibly have taken on a human form because that would make him evil and corrupted. So instead, Christ was a spirit. He just appeared as a man. But he wasn't really a physical human being because God couldn't do that. And so that's why you'll see parts of the New Testament hammer on the fact that God, Christ had a body. He was physical and things like that. And so the more we understand the New Testament, the more we realize that the purpose of prophets was the same as the purpose of the apostles. It was a temporary means of God filling in these gaps and explaining things to a particular group of people until God had finished inspiring and spreading and completing what we now know as the New Testament. Because remember, Back then, they didn't know that there was going to be a New Testament. They didn't know that there was going to be more to the Bible. They just had the Old Testament and then the teachings of the apostles and the clarifications of these prophets who would stand up in a certain church in a certain city and give a clarification, which was a message from God. But today, we are so blessed because we don't need prophets. We don't have any gaps that need to be filled because God has filled all the gaps. He's filled the role of apostles and prophets in our lives by giving us the Bible. And we have this complete revelation from God all over the world. We have it on our phones. We have it on the internet. We have copies and copies of it on our bookshelf. We have churches who are able to just hand them out for free to anybody who wants one. We are so blessed to have this in our lives. And because of the Bible, if we're honest, 
our world can seem a little more boring. The Christian life can be a little less exciting and supernatural because we don't need the miracles performed by the apostles to establish their authority. We don't need the supernatural messages directly from God spoken through someone in the church gifted with prophecy because we have everything we need in God's word. And now, before I move on, I want to say that I fully understand that there is a huge debate in Christianity about whether prophecy still exists. And I want to say that if you... Obviously, listening to this, it's clear that I don't believe prophecy exists today because the purpose of it is no longer necessary. The need to clarify, to expand, to fill in gaps that the apostles were currently filling in through their letters, we don't have that anymore. So God isn't going to use prophets in the same way he's not going to use apostles anymore. Instead, he's given us things that help clarify the Bible, which is evangelists and pastors and teachers. So we still have those from Ephesians because they take truth and then explain it. Whereas apostles and prophets would give new truth that was to a degree never heard of before. But if that's not how you understand the Bible, if you still believe there are prophets today, this episode will still be valuable to you because whether prophets are active or not today, they still have to fill the role and function of a prophet as we see in the Bible. We don't get to make up and add new qualifications or new characteristics of prophets because that's what we see in the world today. Instead, we need to start with the Bible and say, what does the Bible say about prophets? What does God reveal about prophets in the Old Testament and the New? And then taking that, we can evaluate people who claim to have prophecy and say, is this comparable? Is this equal to what God has established in his word? Because remember, God's word is perfect. Human beings are not. If human beings claim to represent God, but don't accurately represent God, they are wrong, they are false, and they need to be rejected. So understanding that, let's talk about how prophecy relates to Pastor Dana Coverstone. So here's the basic foundations that we're going to be working from when it comes to prophecy. Number one, the prophet knows that what they're saying is definitely, absolutely a message from God. Two, prophecy has a specific purpose, either calling people to direct repentance or God telling us what he has ordained to happen in the future and showing his sovereignty over the future. And then three, prophecy fills in gaps that have been covered by the Bible. So as you've seen, hopefully, in Pastor Dana's video, we now need to evaluate what he's saying and what he's doing and compare it to what we understand about prophets, not based on opinion or tradition or what we want to believe, but simply basing it against the timeless truths of the Bible by holding up the Bible and holding up what he's saying and asking ourselves, do these two things match or is one of these things not like the other? And before we jump into this, let's just see one of God's very, very early warnings about prophets that we need to consider. So in Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 through 22, it's a bit of a longer one. It says, But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. You may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Now listen to what is expected and required of a prophet. A prophet knows that what they are saying is from the Lord. A prophet's words are able to be tested and seen and evaluated. And, and this is important, someone who does not match up to what God has laid out about prophets dies. That is how seriously God takes those who claim to represent him. In the Ten Commandments, when God says not to take the Lord's name in vain, that's not talking about using his name as a swear word. That's literally taking on the name of the Lord and attaching it to what you are saying. It's literally taking his name that you don't have authority to take. That's what God's talking about here. Is he is saying, anyone who claims to represent me and doesn't will die. How will you know if they don't represent me? Because what they say will not come to pass. And so what that would mean that is if you're going to stand up and say, I am a prophet, I've had a prophetic dream, I have a prophetic vision, I have a prophetic interpretation, you need to be willing to put your life on the line. You need to know without question, without hesitation, 
that the holy God of the universe has given you this message to deliver to his people, that by taking his name, by claiming to be a prophet, you are representing him on earth. You are saying, this is what the Lord says. And I have no doubt about it. If I am wrong, you can kill me. Now, obviously today we don't kill people for false prophecy. We even see that in the New Testament about how Paul tells us to handle false teachers because the nation of Israel is different than the universal church. I understand that. But what we can pull from this is the severity that God treats those who claim to represent him and don't, who speak, as he says here, presumptuously, who speak out of their own opinions, their own thoughts, not clearly being given a charge, a command by God to speak to people. Now, Pastor Dana is very clear to say, I'm not a prophet. I'm not saying this is a prophecy. But what he says doesn't match what he's actually doing and what he's truly saying, because he is claiming to have had a prophetic dream. He is claiming to be delivering this message to God's people to warn them of what's coming. He is, without a doubt, stepping into the role of a prophet. And so we need to evaluate what he says as a prophet as we see in the Bible. Now, a prophet knows without a doubt, unquestionably, the word that they have been given comes from God. Compare that to Pastor Dana's words. He says to take it with a grain of salt. He says he doesn't know if it's a prophecy. He doesn't know what it means and that he is willing to be called a fool in December if this doesn't come true. That is not the mark of someone who has been directly communicated to by God who said, you need to deliver this message to people. I am giving you this prophecy. I'm giving you this dream and I'm giving you the interpretation of it so that you can deliver a message to my people. That's not what we see here. We don't see someone who is willing to say, I know that this is from God and you can kill me if I am wrong. There is no certainty in the words that he says. There is no confidence that what this dream is, is even from God. He even talks about how it could have been like some bad food that he had the night before. Now, I know he says that jokingly, but if you are coming with a message from the almighty God, you're going to be as serious about that as you possibly can be, because this is something that your God has given you. He has charged you. He has entrusted it to you. You are accountable for the words that you say, and you're going to say those words with as much certainty as you're going to say as a man who literally should be killed if he is wrong, if he is making it up, if he is mistaken. As I said, the biggest thing we need to evaluate is whether prophets are still active today or not. Is what they are saying and what they're doing lining up with what we see in the Bible? And with this video and these three dreams and this maybe, maybe not attitude about whether it's truly from God, just from that on its own, we can easily conclude that, no, this can't be from God because this is not how a prophet of God speaks. Prophets don't go into the throne room of a king and say, King, I think God might want me to tell you this maybe. No one in the early church stood up and said, Here's what I think God says about it, but I'm not totally sure. No, when people spoke for God, they spoke for God. No hesitation, no question, no doubt about the authority that they were given by God to speak to his people on his behalf. Now, when we understand that, we can better understand how it is that Pastor Dana seems to have predicted the global pandemic and the unrest taking place in America. Because when we've eliminated the things that are impossible, all we're left with is what is logical and reasonable. Because we'll work under the assumption that he did have a dream in December, that he did share it with some men of his church, and that he did see a pandemic and civil unrest brewing. So how did he do this? The biggest thing I think we need to examine is the fact that Pastor Dana claims to read 40 newspapers from around the world every single day. He points out that he is very knowledgeable and understandable about what's happening in the world. He is, he is very much in tune with things happening, not just in America, but everywhere. Now, when we really think about that, we can start looking at Pastor Dana not as a prophet, but as an expert. Now, as an example, think about people who dedicate their lives and even their careers to predicting the stock market. If someone is trying to make it big on the stock market or work as someone that invests for other people, they're not just going to pay attention to 
a small amount of companies. They're not going to spend an hour or two every week just casually seeing what's happening in the world. If someone wants to be the best, if they want to be an expert at predicting the stock market, if they want to be successful, they're going to live and breathe the topic. They're going to invest every amount of brain power and time that they can in studying and researching and predicting what's going to happen in the stock market. And so when we think about Pastor Dana and his reading 40 newspapers every day, we can see that this is a guy, honestly, I would trust to say, here's what's going to be coming in the future. We need to be prepared for the world going in this direction. And I wouldn't trust him with that because he's a prophet, but because he is clearly a very intelligent and well-studied man when it comes to what's going on in the world at large. And so when he talks about he predicted this back in December and he, he prophesied it, we need to realize that word hadn't really broken from China about the corona virus sweeping through their country until late in December, which I'm going to assume was after Pastor Dana had his dream. But we can look back to what people were saying for months before that. So even back in September, health experts were saying that there is a global pandemic brewing somewhere, somehow, and we as a world are not prepared for it. So we were warned by what we can assume are unsaved unchristian health officials who basically said, look, we're watching the data. We are seeing how the world is going. We are, we're watching patterns and seeing trends. And we are looking at the world and seeing that we are primed for a pandemic soon. Something's going to happen. That's going to start somewhere and spread around the world because the world is so connected. And we are looking at the health systems and seeing that we are not ready. The world is not going to be financially or structurally prepared for what is going to come sometime. Now, if you are someone who's reading 40 newspapers every day, you're going to be seeing discussions like this pop up over and over and over again. You're going to know that people are worried about a pandemic and that things are brewing. Now, on top of that, a lot of us probably saw civil unrest coming at some point. You know, we've seen throughout the years over and over and over again, people are outraged at injustice. We see that there are law enforcement officials who commit crimes and don't get taken to task for it. We see that we give power to sinful human beings who then unsurprisingly use that power for evil. And on top of that, the idea of social justice has grown and grown and grown to the point that it has almost become a new gospel, even for Christians, where we need to save the world by making the world a fair place. And so, again, if you are someone who is seeing newspaper after newspaper in America and seeing how people are talking around the world, if you've got your ear to the ground, you're going to see the signs coming. You're going to put the pieces together and see that, well, here's what's happened historically. Here's what's happening today understanding cause and effect, here's what is obviously going to happen in the future. And so here's where we need to really understand the difference between forecasting and prophesying. Because if we were to t watch a news program and see a weather person stand up and they've been trained in meteorology and they were to say, here's your seven day forecast. We don't praise God and say, wow, God, thank you for giving them that prophecy for telling them what the weather was going to be like. No, because these people could sit you down and explain, here's the process I went through to determine what the future was going to look like. I looked at data. I looked at patterns. I looked at history. Because a meteorologist understands the weather. They see patterns. They know how things are going to happen because they study it. And so when it comes to the seemingly impressive prophecy from Pastor Dana, where he seemed to have predicted that the world was going to get sick and then riot, we can realize that prophecy isn't the only explanation, and it's not even the most likely explanation. What's much more likely is we could trace his entire thought process and, and trace his reading history and see that on his mind was the reality of a pandemic. He was being confronted regularly with an impending civil unrest. The signs were all there. None of us probably saw it because we don't devote ourselves to reading 40 newspapers a day. At most, we may watch information from one popular news source and get all of our info from that. But instead, Pastor Dana is very smart. He's very well studied 
in what's happening in the world. And so it's not surprising that he would even have a dream in which he sees people in masks, people having breathing problems, people in hospitals, people rioting and cities burning and things like that. That's not surprising that someone would have a dream like that because our dreams simply reflect what's on our minds, what's on our hearts. And so if you're someone who is somehow able to stay sane and read newspapers day after day after day, 40 of them, it's not going to be surprising when on your mind and in your dreams, you are dwelling on the state of the world in the direction that it's heading because you're going to have the wisdom and the understanding to see here's what's happening now. So here's where it has to end up without some kind of direct God fueled intervention. Now, one last thing I want to point out, and this is one where I wish I had more time to devote to really digging into this because it's very hard to explain it in the brief amount of time I want to talk about it. So if you want to understand what I'm about to say even more, I'm going to link an article down in the show notes where I talk about how we as Christians need to stand by Christ and not our political party. I would strongly recommend that you read it, not because I think it's an incredible one, but it's something that I think a lot of Christians don't think about or consider. And especially in America, I think it's one that we need to be very, very cautious of. Now, that being said, I want to say that as we are listening to Pastor Dana talk about all these predictions, he is very predictable in how his worldview is playing out with what he is saying about these dreams. Now, pulling statements out from his own video, we can see a lot of things that make him a very American brand of Christian. Now, let me explain what I mean. So he talks about he is a big fan of the Second Amendment. His call for us to prepare for what's coming next is to stockpile weapons and ammunition. He adds on to that by saying that, you know, we need to stockpile because of all this chaos and violence that's going to be coming our way. So the obvious indication there is, you know, he's a fan of the Second Amendment. He says, get your weapons. There's an implication that we need to use those weapons on people who would try to most likely take our weapons. In part of the video, he hints that defunding the police departments is going to play a large part in this civil unrest. A big one that is a huge problem for Christians today is that in dream number two, he realizes that all this chaos is happening, especially when that calendar gets exploded by the hand because President Trump is absent. And so because this happens in November, he's clearly implying that if President Trump loses the election, the whole world just loses its mind. And then finally, he takes the Antichrist, which under his interpretation is this embodiment of evil and this tool of Satan. And he is sitting there today. He's active, according to Pastor Dana, and he's alive and he wants to overthrow the world. But the only thing stopping him is that pesky country named America, because we've got our freedoms and we are apparently such a beacon of, of truth and holiness and righteousness that if he could just get us out of the way, nothing would be able to stop his nefarious schemes. Now, the problem with all this, and I want you to please listen to everything I'm going to say, because I know a lot of people are going to immediately want to turn this off, but America is not God's chosen nation. And for Christians to interpret things, to say that, oh, God loves America, we're the only Christian nation, God has chosen us just like he chose Israel, this is his new nation, is not biblical. And I want to explain why. First of all, we are a nation who has killed 62 million of their own people since 1973. If you wonder where I'm getting that number, that's how many abortions we know about that have happened since 1973. Now, if you're sitting there and saying, oh, well, that's just abortion. That's the problem. Our country has conditioned us and our entire culture says that, well, Unborn babies are second-class citizens. Oh, 62 million of them have died. That's sad, but at least they weren't real people. Now, we may never say that, but the fact that if we were to say America has killed 62 million adults and children in concentration camps or something like that, if we were to say that, our reaction would be much different than to say, well, 62 million unborn have been killed. And the fact that we don't react with the same disgust and anger and sorrow shows 
why this country is not God's nation, because we put a lower value on human lives based on where they live, based on what they look like. And so as a country, we are guilty of the exact same sins that God judged Israel for when they would take their babies and they would worship a God named Molech. And in order to sacrifice to him, they would take metal statues of him, heat it up until it was flaming hot and lay their living babies on these statues and sacrifice them and kill them to get what they wanted. We as a nation are more guilty of Israel in slaughtering millions of our own children. And then we have the audacity to say that God loves us because we are so righteous and so holy and we love him so much and that we model our country after him. We don't. And not only that, we are a nation that is infested with false teachers. And not only that, but these false teachers are praised by God's very people. These people who want to lead us away from Christ, to worship a false God, to teach us false beliefs, to twist and distort the Bible for their own gain. We love these people. We love Christians who tell us to live our best life now, that God doesn't have a plan of sickness in your life, that if you just give money to this pastor, God will bless you and heal your child and give you the job that you want. You just got to give money. We as Christians love these people because they tickle our ears, because they say things we want to hear, because they don't call us to repentance. They don't call us to serving God. They don't call us to holiness. They call us to love our greed and that God wants to give us that greed. That's not a nation that is in love with God. That's not a nation that serves God. That's a nation that God warns us about over and over all throughout the Bible. And not only that, we worship everyone from celebrities to presidents with the same level of idolatry that Israel shows over and over again. We look to a president to save our country. We look to celebrities to tell us what to think about world events or what is going to make us happy or what we should be doing with our lives. We allow scientists to override what is clearly taught in God's word because we want to trust science over the timeless truths of God. We make idols of these people because we say what they say is truth. My needs will be met in them. I need to understand the world, so I'm going to look to them to tell me what to think and what to say. I'm going to look to them to tell me what people are important and what people aren't. We let other people do the thinking for us rather than going to the king of kings to get our truth, to understand how to live our lives. And then where does all this come from? To a degree, it comes from the fact that, as I talked about earlier, we have access to the Bible in a way that history could only dream about. We can easily open God's word in any translation. We have access to commentaries and sermons and books written by people who love God, who want to study and understand what he says, and then give that information to his people so they can grow and they can be mature. And at best, maybe we read our Bible once a week. Maybe we pray at family dinners. We are the most biblically ignorant generation in the entirety of Christian history. In 2,000 years, no one has had such little regard for God's word as what we do. And because we don't know our Bibles, we get swept up into all of this nonsense thinking that a celebrity is going to save us, that our country loves God, that human lives are only valuable as far as popular culture says they are. We get easily swept aside and, and caught up in these false teachings like the Word of Faith movement or the prosperity gospel. Because we don't know our Bibles. We don't know how to spot lies. We don't know how to set our minds on Christ. We don't let him take our thoughts captive. We let the world do it. We let the world transform our minds instead of letting the Holy Spirit transform it. And so as we look at the world today and we look at America, I think we need to realize that America is not God's last hope for righteousness. I think America is under judgment, and rightfully so. We are a nation who started with Christian principles, but were never truly a Christian nation. We had people who loved God and wanted to honor him. But like with any nation, we are filled with sinners. We are filled with enemies of God. We may have had people claim to represent him, but ultimately we've just become people who practice the ritual of Christianity and don't actually follow Jesus Christ truly. And now why do I get into all of this? Why am I pointing out that American Christians as a whole have become spiritually fat and lazy. Why am I pointing out that we completely misunderstand what it means for God to bless a nation 
or how God views what happens in America or what our role is as aliens in the world, as foreign citizens of heaven who happen to live in America, but aren't meant to be swept up in everything that is America. Because as Christians in this country, we have confused what it means to be a Christian with what it means to be part of a political party. We say that if you're not a Republican, you can't be a Christian. People literally say, how can you be a Democrat and a Christian? As though the Christian faith stands for God and the Democrats stand for the devil. No, all political parties stand for human beings. They are founded on human reason. They are grown by sinful people. And ultimately, they don't exist to bring glory to God. Now, yes, one party may line up more with God's desires for the world than others, and one party may fight for true justice more than another. But to say that, well, if you don't agree with everything in the party, then you're not a true American or you're not a true Christian, shows that we have confused what it means to be a member of a nation with a member of God's kingdom. And so all that is to say that that is a problem in Christianity in America. It is a huge problem where we equate being saved with being a good American or a good Republican. And when we understand that, we can look at the things that Pastor Dana says in his own interpretation and realize that what he's saying isn't shocking. It isn't new. It doesn't even go against our human thoughts or desires. What he says lines up perfectly with this nationalistic, American-centered Christianity. And I point that out because, remember, what he says is that America is the only thing stopping the Antichrist. President Trump not being there is the only thing stopping the world from turning to chaos. When it comes to how we should respond to this, we need to get guns and ammo in preparation for it. And we need to ask ourselves, is this kind of mentality interpreted through the Bible or are we taking our political party or our political beliefs and then telling the Bible to agree with our political party? And let me explain what I mean here. So if you ever read the book of Habakkuk, if you haven't, I would strongly recommend you do. It is a great book. It's short and it shows God's glory and his sovereignty and his majesty so well. But in this book, you've got Habakkuk who has a certain belief about God and about the world. And he says, hey, God, what are you doing with Israel right now? You know, how are you going to bring them to repentance? And Habakkuk has what he thinks God would do and how he would handle it. He expects God to do something in a way that aligns with Habakkuk's own beliefs about the world. And instead, God responds to him in Habakkuk 1.5 and says, Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. Habakkuk asks God what that is, and long story short, God is going to rise up a pagan nation to sweep across Israel and decimate them. And Habakkuk cannot believe this. He cannot believe that God would do something like this. Not because he's calling God into question, but that he doesn't understand how God's plan could be something that is so outside what anyone would expect. And if we read anything in the prophets and really anything in the Bible, God doesn't act in a way that we expect him to. We call God out because he punishes sinners by destroying them in the Old Testament. We respond with, awe and wonder because God doesn't give sinners what they deserve today. We see, as we talked about with the difference between the New and Old Testament, how people were convinced that God was a certain way in the Old Testament only for Christ to come along and say, no, you've completely missed who God is. And it's not surprising because God is not like us, that he should think like we do, that he should act like we expect him to. God is God. He's going to do what he's going to do, and we are not going to see it coming because we do not have his mind. And so when we take that understanding of God, that he isn't just unpredictable, but that he just doesn't do what we expect because we can't expect God to act how God would act because he's so far beyond our understanding and our comprehension. When suddenly someone gives a interpretation or a prophecy that says, yeah, America's great, just like a lot of Christians in America believe. And President Trump is our savior and the only one who's going to be able to stop all this evil. And, you know, America is God's country and we are the only thing keeping evil at bay. Now, I know Pastor Dana didn't actually say that, but that is the attitude and the disposition of someone who would think that way. We see a particular president, as long as they're Republican, as 
are salvation. And if they're a Democrat, then they are evil and of the devil. And we're going to criticize them like none other. And we're going to point out all their flaws. Now, of course, we won't do the exact same thing with a president of our own political affiliation. No, we're going to point out everything they do well and show how they love God and things like that. Even if that means that president takes a photo opportunity to stand in front of a church with a Bible for no reason other than pandering to his people. But at the end of it all, when we're listening to Pastor Dana break down his interpretation and his warnings for how to respond in terms of what America stands for and what happens if President Trump loses the election and how we need to respond by exercising our Second Amendment rights, that's a very American interpretation. That is a very predictable interpretation. No Christian is going to be surprised to hear a prophecy say that America is what stands in the way of the Antichrist, that President Trump is the only thing holding everything together, that when people come for our guns, we need to stockpile and fight back. That's not surprising. That's not odd. That's a very common belief. And for God to actually tell someone that is incredibly unlikely because that would be predictable. That would be the obvious human American Christian response. And American Christianity and God aren't always going to agree like that. Now, as I wrap this up, I want to say that the things I've talked about are probably ordered in the order of importance. Understanding prophets and prophecy, I think, is number one thing that we need to evaluate Pastor Dana's words by. I think that he completely disqualifies his prophecy and his dream simply based on the fact that he doesn't line up with God's word. Now, from there, I think it's important for us to understand and think about how he could have seemingly prophesied the pandemic and the civil unrest. And then from there, realize just how his own political beliefs are coloring how he's viewing this dream and how he's calling for Christians around the world to respond. And at the end of all this, I hope that we are seeing the need to seek God's word first when we're trying to understand someone's words, when we're evaluating what they're saying. More than anything, I want people to walk away from this episode seeing that God's word must come first. Even if we don't like it, even if it blows away what we expect or what we want or how we want God to operate, if God's word does not clearly agree, then we must reject anything we're being told. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul says to be diligent, to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. As we're evaluating claims of prophecy or of someone claiming to be a prophet or having prophetic dreams, we need to handle God's word well as we evaluate that person, as we judge the merit and the value of what they're saying. Because ultimately, our goal is to use wisdom in every area of our life. Because being wise, using discernment, is what brings God glory. Because we are setting our minds on him. We are using the wisdom that he has given us through the power of the Holy Spirit to evaluate the world, to look at what's happening, to look at what people are saying, whether they're outside the church or even people in the church. We can see what they're saying, hold it up to God's word, and use a good understanding of how to read the Bible, how to understand the Bible, and be able to see if what someone is saying lines up with God and should therefore be listened to, or if they are missing something or lacking something, and we either need to be very cautious or we need to reject them outright. And we see this in one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Acts 17, 11. So leading up to this, Paul and Silas went to a town called Berea, and they started standing up in the synagogue and preaching to the Jews. And it says about these Bereans, Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So the Bereans were praised because they didn't just accept someone who said they knew the truth of God. They didn't say, oh, well, these people are talking about God, so let's listen to them. The Bereans didn't seem to care what their emotions said or what their beliefs said or what their traditions told them. They didn't just accept or even reject what was being said based on anything except God's word. And so as Paul and Silas stood up and preached the gospel, the Bereans didn't just immediately respond. They said, okay, hang on. I hear what you're saying. Now let's see what God's word can tell us. If you're agreeing with God's word, 
obviously we're going to listen because we want to honor God and his truth above anything else. And if what you're saying doesn't line up, we can't listen to you. And so I pray as followers of Jesus Christ above all else, more than our political affiliations, more than our religious traditions, as we follow Jesus Christ, I pray that we can be like the Bereans. I pray that we can be praised for that same diligence and that same commitment and that same faithfulness to God's word. And so as we evaluate the merit and the value of prophetic dreams, we need to stop and, like the Bereans, say, if what you're saying clearly lines up with Scripture, whether I like it or not, I will listen. But if what you're saying and what you're claiming doesn't, then what you're saying isn't worth my time. So I hope that you will be able to use this information to really think and evaluate the claims not only of Pastor Dana, but anyone who claims to represent God. If you want to refresh yourself on anything I've said, like I said, I didn't really give much new information on this, so you can actually visit the link of my article about this same topic, which I'll link in the show notes, and you can review it. You can see where I'm coming from. But ultimately, my goal as not only someone who is in a ministry like this, but just as a follower of Christ. My goal and my desire isn't to tear down another brother in Christ. I have no reason to think that Pastor Dana isn't truly a Christian. My goal isn't to give in to something sensational and either outright accept something because it sounds good or reject it because I don't agree with it. My goal is to use discernment and use wisdom to evaluate these things and then teach you as a follower of Jesus Christ to do the same. So think about what was said, evaluate it, and above all, hold any claims of truth against God's word. <laughs>